All right, what's up everybody? It's your pal Val and welcome back to the show. I'm your host Val and today we have a very exciting episode as we always do and I'm going to begin the show again like I always do and that is with a song. So before I introduce our guest, I'll give you a hint and say that the guest is the first non- like undergraduate student here. So maybe you can take a guess as to who you think that will be as we play the song called College Town by Janie Waddell. Okay, here's the song. You can put on the red and black The stadium will still be packed But you won't recognize everybody Walking past You can go to your favorite dive The one where you had your first bud bath But it won't get you buzzed like it did you in your ear So that was College Town by Janie Waddell. And before we get into why you chose the song, let's just introduce our guest. So go ahead and say your name, who you are. Hi, everyone. I am AC Katie, um, or otherwise Katie O'Rourke. I currently work for the Office of Residence Life at Fairfield University um, as an area coordinator for Langith Hall, um, which is our premier 
flagship uh, sophomore living learning community here on campus um, called the Ignatian Residential College. So it's a lot of fun, and I really enjoy it. Wow, that was a really good introduction. You're very seasoned at telling people who you are. (laughs) Thank you. So let's get into your song choice, College Town. Why did you pick that song? Yeah, I picked that song. Um, I... Something about me is I listen to a lot of country music. So um, I found this on TikTok, this song on TikTok, um, maybe 2021. And it's a really great song about, um, like, once you leave your college town, like, you can never come back and it will never, like, look exactly like it did when you were there. And so um, I have worked at a few institutions. Some I, like, hold really, really close to my heart. I actually grew up in this area, so this doesn't feel like a college town per se to me. Um, it just kind of feels like my hometown. But um, it's so true that, like, once you leave, even if you leave for, like, a couple weeks and you come back and you're not, like, a student at that school anymore, it's, like, not ever going to be the same. So um, one of my personal mottos is um things are only special when they're special and i think that this song like really can like encapsulates what that means for college students i love that and i think it's really like poignant for where you are and then where we all are the people that you're serving um as you're as being an ac so yeah i don't know that's a perfect introduction so you've already talked about what you do here mm-hmm. but i'm interested to know like what makes your job as the AC of the residential college and like a different than being an AC in any other building? Yeah. Um, I think about my job sometimes in like two separate categories. So um, I think about it is like an AC of a building, which is very similar to every other building. Like um, there's still roommate conflicts that need to be handled and still like um, moving students, placing students in certain rooms. Like all of that is still the same. Um, Overseeing the RA staff, the programming, um, where I think the residential college gets different is that I really try hard to morph that part of it with the integrity of the program. So um, the residential college started by a Lilly grant, which is... um, was a grant 21 years ago um, that the Catholic Church was giving out for people to create programs that encourage Catholic education. Um, And we're actually the only program that was started under the Lilly Grant to still be in practice, which is really exciting. So um, I like really try really hard to keep the integrity of that program. Um, And that being said, it's uh, it's incorporating the programming and the aspect of Ignatian spirituality throughout the building. And so um, RA programs sometimes will lend themselves to reflection, which is one of Ignatius's um, big principles. So we do a lot of reflection. Um, And then I do a lot of tracking on making sure students are upholding um, all the parts of the program that they signed up for. So um, we have three pillars, the uh, academic, which is they all are enrolled in a residential college class. Um, So I don't do a whole lot with that part of it, but I help kind of oversee what I can. Um, And then the co-curricular, which is their mentor group. So everybody gets a mentor um, and they go to their mentor meetings um, once a month. And then the residential, so um, living inside the building, meaning, like, what community are we building? Um, a res- there's a lot of literature on residential colleges and what kind of communities those should be. And so I try to I try my best to create the community that um, is best fit for res college. That's awesome. It definitely is, like, that whole extra set of responsibilities for you, but you're doing a great job. And I know the people Thanks. I've talked to in Langith this year are – excited to be there they've met great people and it's really seems like something that everybody wants to be in if they're not you know it's like mm. a cool place to be 
So what do you think is the best part of your job? I think the best part of my job is the students, and that's really why I got into this field is to work with students and help encourage them to, like, go through um, college and, and advocate for themselves. And so um, one of, like, where I got my start is in student government. So here they call that FUSA, um, and I was super heavily involved in as an undergrad and something that I believe a lot in is student advocacy. So um, I really like to talk through with students, like, if they're having a problem, how can they advocate for themselves to get it fixed? And so that's typically the lens in which I come from things with um, of, like, where on campus can they go to advocate for themselves and make their experience best because nobody knows what it's like to be a college student in the year 2023 unless you're a college student in the year 2023 and so like I'm not that far out from undergrad so I think I kind of get it but um, I don't get it in the same regard I never went through college in COVID so um, you know it's a little bit different in this post-COVID world Um, so yeah that's really cool and on the flip side of that what would you say is your greatest challenge and you know I want to keep it positive so how do you deal Mm. with that yeah, I think. I mean, I think the hardest challenge that I have is because I'm so close in age with you all. Um, I think sometimes I like I'm on the same TikTok feeds as you all, and like it's so easy for me to um, kind of relate to you in that way. And I think that the challenge then becomes like uh, being seen as the authority figure when that's necessary. Um, I think like building relationships um, with college students is not a, not typically a challenge for me um but it's when those relationships um like upholding the boundaries of those relationships to ensure that like I can also on the other hand like on Friday and Saturday night the like third part of the job really is the crisis management and so continuing to um be seen as like that authority figure when crisis management needs to happen it's good to know very good to know and I'm grateful that you're sharing all of this about your position because I think it's such a <laughs> wonderful insight we usually have students on the show talking about like the student life so Mm. it's awesome to hear a different perspective and I want to kind of flip back to when you were I guess in our shoes what did you major in and like well where'd you go we kind of mentioned it yeah yeah, so I went to Eastern Connecticut State University, um, which is up in Willimantic and so if you're like not terribly familiar with Connecticut it's like a five minute drive from UConn um so we did a lot of um, our professors are very similar to the UConn professors. Like, I can really relate to the UConn experience um, just as much as I can relate to the Eastern experience because those schools really are very similar. Um, but it was a small school like this. Um, it was about the same size with the same on-campus population, which was really, like, a lot of fun. And I can really understand, like, the liberal arts perspective of it because that's what the – it was a liberal arts school. Then I got my master's. Um, in education with a concentration in counseling from James Madison University in Harrisonburg, Virginia, which is a really small rural town in Virginia. Um, That's far, too. Yeah, it is far. I had never left Connecticut up until then, like for an extended period of time. Um, And then I got there and it became COVID um, like that year. So um, the South never really uh, picked it up as fast as up here. So um, by the time that things had shut down in Virginia, Connecticut and New York's borders were already shut. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wasn't able to come home until like seven months later. Um, wow. So I was really down there alone um, in a community that I really had to build a community myself down there. But um, I really wound up loving Virginia. And um, every time I see anybody wearing a Virginia clothes, I'm like, oh my gosh. Um, and I really like to connect with them about that because it really did feel like my home for three years. Um, especially because of COVID. 
Yeah. And then with that, you became a brief stint. You always talk about, I was a teacher for a minute. Oh, yes. I was a teacher for a minute in between college and grad school. Um, I went back to my old high school, which was an all-girls Catholic school, um, and I taught math. So I majored in math. I, don't, I think that was a question. I did not yes, answer I it. Was, yeah. I, so I majored in math in undergrad. I went back to my old high school, taught math for um, – it was almost a year. Um, a woman had gone on maternity leave, and so I – Picked up her classes, um, and I really, like, enjoyed the students part of it. At that point, I had kind of um, – I was between, like, do I want to teach forever or do I want to do student affairs? And so I was applying to grad schools, and I had this teaching job. And the, like, part of it that I really loved – I taught mostly juniors and one class of seniors. And the part that I loved the most was talking to the girls about what their pros and cons were for college. And so I knew, like – if that's the only part of this job that I go home and I'm like, I love this, like I should be in a college or at least be a guidance counselor. Um, so I wound up going to grad school for that. That that path would have led me to both. Um, and I fell in love with programming. Um, and so I think that my like my passion area, as much as it is student advocacy through my SGA experience, it's also programming. Um, so I really like the logistics idea of it, um, making things that I think students will enjoy. Um, of course, like it's definitely a challenge now um, with post-COVID students. I don't really quite understand um, because it's not the same college student as it was when I was in college. But I really enjoy like thinking up ideas that I think will be fun. And I think that your students really appreciate you for doing that because having a long day and then coming back to the residence hall and like having something like food as out or, you know, people are gathered, it just like sometimes takes that pressure off when you just, you know, you might feel like all I want to go back into my dorm, all I want to do is go back into my dorm and like put on a show and sleep. Mm -hmm. But then like that doesn't necessarily always fill you up in the same way that if you walk in and people are excited to see you and it welcoming, like yeah. that is actually just what you need. And I'm so grateful that you're doing that. And I'm curious as to your undergrad in math. Were you planning at that time to be a teacher for like the mm. rest of your life? Okay. Yeah. So I went into college um, as a double major in education and math. Um, and so the way it worked at Eastern is very, oh, I don't, was it's similar to how it works here in that you, um, like education was kind of a secondary thing to the like your major. Um, and you get like one degree. Right. So you would get a degree. You have to pick like a subject area. Right. So I thought through it because I knew I wanted to be a teacher. I really liked at leaving high school. I was like, I want to be a teacher because I want to be the person that people can come to with like struggles at home. I had a lot of um, things that I really utilized my teachers for in high school for that same way. And I really wanted to give that back. Um, and somebody who really inspired me was my math teacher in high school who did prom and like ran the math club and was just like always there and just very, very supportive. And so I was like, well, um, I don't love history. I don't love English. I like, like Spanish, but I don't want to be a Spanish teacher. There's not like a lot of Spanish teachers. So I guess I'll do math. Um, and that was kind of how I picked that major um, really just out of process of elimination. Um, and I got there and I loved my major. I found like some girls who were in the major with me. It was a very male heavy major. And so there was about three of us in my year wow, who were going through the math major. Wow. Yeah. 
It was very small. And we, like, banded together and still to this day, like, have a Snapchat group chat and um, keep in touch. And, and they're in the math field. Two became teachers. One became an actuary. Um, and then I do. I use my math using doing assessment, which is another part of, you know. This, all the things you do. All the things I do. So, um, but I really enjoyed, like, being able to go through it with them. And, like, I really liked thinking that way. I was super heavily involved in college. And so I was felt like I was thinking um, writing like emails and like creating communication and all of that. And I think that if my major was communication, which a lot of people in this field like have an undergrad major in communication, which makes sense. If I had done that, I think I would have got really tired of it. I really enjoyed like being able to turn off my student involvement and be able to think in numbers and think um, strategically or critically in a different way. Um, so I really enjoyed that. And then I picked up a minor in sociology and I did an internship um with a middle school because at that point I was like okay I guess I will still be like teaching question mark um and I did an internship at a middle school and I hated every second of it and I was like this is awful 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 every time my education classes made me write a lesson plan I they did like you can either write a lesson plan or write an essay I always wrote an essay Mm -hmm. and I think that was just really telling so I got to this point in sophomore year where I'm like okay I really like my clubs and orgs I really like SGA I really hate my internship I hate lesson plans it's not giving teaching (laughs) it's definitely not and I will say that middle school is definitely a hard place to realize that because I think that just the way that it exists is just hard the students like everything about it is I don't think anybody sits down and is like I really want to go back to middle school right so that's that's really tough right right so when you figure all this out, you know, and you even do try it out, which major kudos for, because, mm. you know, you're like, you're giving it weight and you're saying like, I'm going to go for what I want to do. And then you get there and you're like, wait, this isn't it. Mm. How, what was that like? Talk me through that thought process where you kind of already, like you were saying, leading up to it, you knew it wasn't going to work out and you were like, I, I have a plan B or were you more just, how did you take that step? Yeah. So, I mean, regardless, I knew I was going to get my master's in education. The question was, do I teach? during the day and get my master's in education locally at night or do I take this large leap and do my master's in education somewhere else and really like pull myself into campus involvement and what does that look like and so when I went back to my old high school uh it became very clear that um teaching the math part of it was not the part that I enjoyed and I really did some reflection and thought you know the reasons I thought when I was 18 that I want to be a teacher was to run prom and run the clubs and be around after school and that's not really you know the bulk of what a teacher does um and so I had a few friends who had gone into student affairs a years older than me in college and so um I kind of knew what that grad situation was like um and so I, I decided um, to both, like, just dive in and even take this leap of, like, I'm going to go apply to these grad schools. And the only grad schools in Connecticut that have that degree is Central, um, Connecticut State University, which I didn't want to go to because it was too similar to Eastern. I really wanted a different school experience. Or UConn. And me and UConn, um, UConn didn't accept me. Oh, UConn. So, How dare they? So me and UConn, uh, so I didn't want to apply for grad school because I still had beef about the fact that they of didn't course. accept me from undergrad. Of course. So I was like, okay, I'm leaving the state. That was like 
just defined. I'm not um, just leaving, but going to Virginia. Yeah, so Virginia happened kind of chaotically. So the thing about these grad programs is that you get a 20-hour-a-week job, and typically that job on campus will pay for your tuition. So a lot of these programs are free if you get one of these jobs. Um, they call them assistantships. So... Um, at the end of it, I wound up getting a full ride to University of Rhode Island, Kent State in Ohio, and James Madison University in Virginia. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. So my really great friend and mentor still to this day went to Kent State, um, and he loved it, loved it so much. Um, and I went out there, and I, I really liked it. It was a beautiful college town. The school's really cool. Um, but it was very much like, oh, you went to Eastern. Do you know Clint? Like, the whole weekend I was there. Oh, okay. So I didn't want to live in Clint's shadow again. I had kind of done that in college a lot. Um, did a lot of what Clint did. And so it was between URI and JMU. Um, and I was dating somebody at the time who lived, was in law school in Rhode Island. And so, like, that would have been... Would have been good. Would have been a lot closer and a lot easier. Um, but I went on spring break with my parents, actually, that year. <laughs> we wanted, I wanted to go to Disney so bad. And so we all went to Disney. Oh, that's so fun. I know. It was so fun. And I remember being, like, the day was coming that you had to tell right. URI or JMU which one you were going to. And I'm standing in front of the Epcot, like, ball. <laughs> and um, I get a call from URI. And they're like, so are you coming? And, like, I don't know what came over me, but I can remember this moment, like, so distinctly. I was just like, no. And, wow. and I withdrew over the phone right there in Epcot. And I was like, okay, well, I had already kind of decided I wasn't going to Kent. Right. I, like, chaotically was like, no, I'm not going to URI. It just didn't feel right. And so... um I went to JMU, and I, like, didn't tell my parents or the person I was dating at the time. Like, I just posted it on Instagram. Oh, Katie. And that's how everybody found out that I was moving to Virginia. <laughs> wow, that's a really funny story. And I think it's crazy how it's, like, you subconsciously knew yeah. that going to URI was not right for you. So your brain yeah. just took over. Right. I didn't even know that they did that, where they called you up and were like, <laughs> yeah. So are you coming? Right, right. Well, these cohorts are really small, so they kind of want to fill the cohorts. Good to know. Did you know it was them and you, like, had an idea what the call was? Well, yeah, it was, like, a random, like, I think they're, like, 401 up there. It was, okay. like, a random 401 notice at Rhode Island. And I was, like, ooh. Guess I better pick up. Right. I, don't, I really don't know what came over me, but I was just, like, it's just not, I'm not going there. Um, and it's so funny because when I went and interviewed at JMU, I, like, my mom came with me because it was such a long drive. Mm -hmm. And um, we get on the highway, leaving Harrisonburg. And I was like, wow, that was a cute school. So bad, too bad I'll probably never see it again. And then I wound up spending the next, like, three years of my life there. Just crazy. Wow. That, that really is. That really is. So, okay, that all happens. You get your master's, and you're traveling up. You're like, I want to probably move back to Connecticut. Don't let me speak for you. But how mm. did you end up at Fairfield specifically? Yeah, good question. So I did two years at JMU, um, and I got my degree. And um, I wound up getting a job, my first job, at Old Dominion University, which is in Virginia, um, on the opposite side of the state, closer to Virginia Beach. And I worked in the dean of students office, um, specifically with commuter students, but I wound up doing a lot of crisis work through that job. And it was very overwhelming. COVID was still, like, kind of rampant at the time. Um, but, like, we were in that weird place where, like, people were wearing masks 
but like still doing everything that they wanted to do. Not like right. weird, weird time. Yeah. So it was like hard to build community, moving to a new place, and like not being able to do everything that you wanted to do or like were one able to do. And I, and on top of that, I'm handling crisis with students day in and day out of like really serious things. Like I've I heard stories that were would shock you and it was really overwhelming because I had to listen to that all day and then I went home and had like I didn't have a large group of friends um I didn't have like community down there and it was too hard to come back up um home frequently because it's far it's expensive and also COVID so all of that I really only made it five months um in that situation and I I had was in this con like this space um in the res college we call it well saint ignatius calls it when you're in desolation or consolation so when things are going really well he says you're in consolation that's a great time to make large choices when you're in desolation you're kind of like in this this pit of despair and you shouldn't make large choices um and so i didn't know all of saint ignatius's thoughts here at the time but i like knew that principle is like when things are so bad i shouldn't be making this large choice um but I was also just so bad. So I had, I had to, like, make some sort of decision. And so I started job searching. And I got an offer at Merrimack College in Massachusetts. And I loved that school. So beautiful. But if I was going to move again, I was going to move closer to home. Right. Because, like, I wanted to be back near my parents. I had really missed that over three years when everybody was home with their parents doing fun things. I didn't see my parents for years. So and me and my parents were very close. Um, so that really was hard. And all my friends from grad school are kind of like in this, we're in this place of like, I don't love my job. Maybe I want to leave. Maybe I want to move. So it didn't make sense to move closer to one of them. So I was like, okay, if I'm going to move, I'm going to move closer to home. And the funny story is I actually applied to Fairfield, interviewed, and then I withdrew my application. And I was like, I don't know like I was just in this place of like I don't know I don't want to make any decisions maybe this will get better maybe I'll like make friends so I withdrew my application from everywhere I went through this like wow I went through this like I'm withdrawing I'm staying where I am okay so then I guess Fairfield was going through changes at the time of their HR processes so it used to be in-house in the departments Mm -hmm. and then at that point it got moved to HR so when HR took over the list, um, they had not taken my name out of the, like, application wow. pool. So HR reached out to me again and was like, well, we saw you interviewed. Like, do you are you still interested or did you find another job? And at that point, it had been, like, a month and a half later. Things were not getting better. Maybe they were getting worse. And I was like, yeah, I do want to interview. So I interviewed again. But I did not apply again. It was so shock. It was like, honestly, very weird how it all happened. And like, my mom always says, like, I think it was God. And so when they reached back out, my mom was like, you have to apply. And my parents like sat me down. I came home for a weekend and for Thanksgiving. And they sat me down. They're like, Katie, you need to leave. Like, you need to just make a decision. And like, Fairfield's a great school. You should go. So I got the offer. And my family has always loved Fairfield. My dad grew up off of North Benson, um, and he has, like, stories of coming on campus and, like, picking up pine cones and, Aww. like, playing on his skateboard and all these things. And um, I had a really hard time in college and wanted to transfer, and I really wanted to transfer to a Catholic institution I'd, since I had gone to Catholic school my whole life. And so I looked at Fairfield, actually, to transfer to. 
I didn't wind up transferring, which is a whole other story. But so I was like, I knew about Fairfield. And I was like, okay, it's 18 minutes door to door from my parents' wow, house to here. That's so cute. So it's very close. And um, it's been a great experience. Like, even last night, I went home for dinner. Um, and, like, it's just nice to, like, be so close. And though, like, I used to talk to my mom like three times a day when I was in Virginia. And now I don't feel like I need to talk to her as much because I get to see her so often, right. which is a lot of fun. So, yeah. It is more meaningful, too, because you're just like in each other's presence. There's something to be said. You don't even have to say anything. Exactly. That's awesome. So I'm curious. You were talking about like being so close. What is campus like when those students aren't here? I love campus when the students aren't here. It's so quiet. Over the summer, I started going on um, walks around campus. So I have this whole like route around campus. Um, and it's really hard to do when students are here because I feel like I get stopped and asked a million questions. Mm-hmm. And I really want to keep my heart rate up, you know? <laughs> so um, I, I do it sometimes when the weather's really nice, but not frequently. Um, and it's just so quiet. You can almost like hear the water from Long Island Sound if you're like up at Bellarmine. Wow. It's like it's like you could hear a pin drop. It's honestly so quiet and the animals are like the animals are always out like the turkeys they're really they're always out but like when no students are here i feel like they're so much more present um just like everywhere they're not hiding because no right are, like, check, chasing after them yeah it's really quiet do. that's crazy so okay something i also do want to ask you about is like i guess the benefit of working here is that you're still a grad student now mm. like you're working towards another master's you already yeah. have one Talk about what you're working towards and why. Yeah, so I'm working towards a second master's, an MBA um, with a double concentration in strategic human resources and marketing. Um, The why there is really I have always been interested in business, um, and it was really something that my undergrad didn't really have, and I never really got the opportunity to do. Um, And I think it's really interesting to – Think about a university as a business, right? So working at a university is really, I think, my lifelong passion, though sometimes hard days. I'm like, maybe I should leave. Um, you do say that sometimes. Like, oh, I won't be here. <laughs> um, I think it's my way of coping. But I really love college so much, and I love thinking about a university as a business. And so um, I'm in an entry-level role right now, but eventually um, I would love to move up to more of an administrative role. Um down the line and so thinking about HR and hiring folks like how is that process made and what's the best like idea for it for a university thinking about onboarding and training um, on a lower level but still a very important level um, right now working with RAs like how do we onboard train and form our RAs to be really successful in their role um, but like on a large scale like full-time employees eventually hopefully um, and then marketing is because I love programming um, I really enjoyed the marketing classes and I decided to take a concentration in it because um, I think it's really helpful like I've kind of taken over Res Life's Instagram and so uh, when I have time and the creative capacity I really like to like be silly and creative on it and so um i've learned a lot from the marketing as far as like how to track the analytics on the back end and and things like that um but it's one of those things because i'm so close in age and i spend so much time on social media that i do really enjoy thinking of like how do businesses market how can a university market how can a department market so thinking of that this is something just popped in my head would you ever consider doing admissions and like marketing to prospective students come to Fairfield you know I have always said 
I think in another world, I would have done admissions. Um, I've always been interested in admissions. Sometimes admissions jobs pop up and I'm like, could I do that? Um, my best friend actually works in admissions. Um, she's my best friend in student affairs. And she, seeing the back end of like what admissions counselors do is genuinely so wild. Um, and I give them like all the props in the world. Um, it's just so interesting. It's interesting to me. I would love it. I think sometimes it's hard to market a school that's not your alma mater mm-hmm. in the best way. I'm not saying that's impossible, but I don't know that I would want to live in Willimantic as an adult. Um, so I probably wouldn't market Eastern, although I think I do in my personal life. Um, but I, I mean, I would consider it. It's not, maybe not something that like my ter- career path is trajectored trajectory is towards, but um, it's interesting. I mean, it could be possible because you are a grad student here. Yeah. You live on campus. It's true. So, I mean. It's true. I know. I was on a panel this past weekend for um, admissions, and I was like, wow, this is so fun. (laughs) Um, It felt like my, um, my, one of my dreams to do um, admissions stuff, so. That's awesome. So, I'm curious, Mm. you're a student, like, while being, you know, while working, but what is it like being a student alongside the students that, you know, I guess you're like yeah above but also like does it help your work ethic or is it just weird like that whole process yeah yeah um i i think it's both challenging but also really rewarding i think i have like a better sense of now that i'm like a year and a half into my program i've had a lot of the professors that my students in business have the professors of and so it's nice sometimes to ask like hey i'm taking this professor what do you think like what's class like um right now i'm actually in a class with seniors who are going into the mba program next year um some of which are ras um so it's kind of fun um to be able to kind of like i was on duty this weekend she was on duty one of the girls in my class and we were just talking about class but at the same time like um like it's it's so in that regard I think it helps. I also think that like I have homework, they have homework. Um so like that part of it uh I can kind of relate to on. Um a lot of times on Sunday night that's when I like set off my time to do homework. I typically go to the 7:30 mass and then head back to Langeth and do homework. Um and I like to do it in the lounge too. Like I don't like to do my homework in my in my room. So um I'll be out there. They'll be out there. And so it's kind of fun that way. I think where the challenge is, is like, it's a lot to be a, yeah. f- a student on top of like a working. Job. Yeah. I mean, it's honestly 24 seven. Right. And res life is hard because it's like always at night, mm-hmm. um, which I think a lot of times like professional staff can be like, oh, well, I'll just do homework at night. Well, sometimes I can't um, right. do homework at night. Like sometimes we're just going all night. So um, it's definitely interesting to figure out times to do homework. Um, but overall, it works. I mean, it is a busy schedule. It's a busy life. I don't know that I could do it if I wasn't so close to my community. Um, it was really hard in grad school, was just working 20 hours, and then, like, grad school full-time, that was really hard. So it's nothing new, but it's definitely interesting. So is this the last master's graduate degree or we don't know it's just gonna keep going you could be a phd one day i mean i i would love my edd one day my doctorate in education i would um i think i need a break after this (laughs) for some time um 
and kind of thinking like what and why do I want to study in my EDD? But that's definitely down the line. So the program has two years? The MBA? Yeah. So if you have a business background, it can be one year. Okay. If you don't, it can be two. I'm not full time. I'm kind of going At your own pace. mighty slow. Um, so it'll wind up being like two and a half-ish. So you're, like over, terrible. you're over halfway then. Yeah, I'm almost there. I only have seven classes left. Wow, that's a good feeling. <laughs> okay, so I want to know. Wow, wow. Let's get us together here. <laughs> I have my thoughts together. So do you think that there's any misconceptions that students have about you as an AC? Like, have you heard anybody say something to you when you're like, that's just so not true? Yeah, I mean, I think being in this role is really hard because students, like, sometimes will only see one side of you. So students who tend to not um, go out on the weekends may only see the side of me that's fun and, and, you know, wants to have a conversation and, and kind of joking around, while students who don't hang out in the lounges or don't come and, you know, see me in my office only see the, like, AC Katie fighting crime on the weekends, you know? So um, I think depending on what your interaction with me is you'll probably have a different sense of who I am um I think it's interesting obviously students um and professional staff like all have their own personalities so I think that those personalities gel differently um just as they would anybody else um and so I think that that also kind of leads to you know changes in relationships so you would say that like the students who go out might think that you're a little bit more tough you are or like yeah alluding to, and then like the students who are with you might think that you're fun all the time when right. you do you do do your job like that is you know, right. what you're here to do and you're good at it and that's why you're still here and wor- working up and yeah that's definitely interesting um but also like as somebody who's in the workforce what is something that you say to students or like you would tell students like as the outside perspective like something you wish you would have known or how do you encourage them for like the future i mean yeah i mean you know like that outside perspective of Mm. this is what it actually is and you're doing both whereas sometimes when you're just in school it can get hard to lose that perspective yeah i think i like to think of and i help want to help encourage my students to think of college as like a mini ecosystem of the future world so like um it's really easy to think um okay i've interacted with this person um if i go and tell my friends like everything that they've said like that may or may not get back to them but i may or may not care that's one thing on a friend level in undergrad and typically after four years all of that kind of slate is wiped clean and you start the workforce and nobody really knows like who you were what you did in college unless you tell them and what twist of the story you tell them but if you think about it like those patterns die hard and I think young professionals deal a lot with that of thinking that the real world is not as um tough as it is and I think it's really it's a lot harder in a workplace environment to kind of overcome that um that reputation of like potentially somebody who is untrustworthy or somebody who is not responsible and so as much as you can do to set yourself up in college to have good um to have good relationships and to have good work ethic is gonna set you up really well for the future because like it's not like it ever goes away 
it's it's just the real world on a mini scale. Because those professors that you're mad at, you know, they you only have to deal with them for a short while. For like that boss that you could be working at a job at for three right. years, you know. Exactly. It's just it's interesting. Even if you only work there for a year, I mean, that's somebody you may want a letter of rec from. And mm-hmm. so, like, the pool of people who can give you letters of rec or references gets a lot smaller at that point. Yeah, because you're not going back, you know, if you're, like, five years out of college to your college professor saying, hey, can you recommend right. me for this job? That might be my, like, second or third. Yeah, that's that's definitely interesting. Is there anything that you personally wish you would have known in college that you know now? Hmm. Could be no. It's interesting. Um, I think I wish in college I would have known that, like, um, I think it's really easy in college to kind of get wrapped up in things, right? So as a student leader, I was very, like, wrapped up in policies and procedures and, like, didn't want, as an RA, I didn't want to be in situations that could get me fired. And so, like, I didn't go to parties or I didn't do those things. They weren't interesting to me anyway, but, like, they were interesting to my friends. And so I think a lot of relationships kind of shifted because of that. Um, And after college, you all move away or... Maybe you don't, but um, those relationships are still really, really important. Um, And I think that's really what's the drawing part of Fairfield. I mean, my dad asks me, he asked me one time and it really stuck out to me. Like, what do you think a student at Fairfield gets that like a student at Southern might not or or another school? And I think the, the answer to that is networking. Students here have really impressive parents they get really impressive internships um they get really impressive jobs after college and just saying you went to fairfield says something right and so i think keeping those relationships is really going to be really important even if it's like oh i passed by this person in the tully and we maybe waved like not to break any or burn any bridges that don't necessarily need to be burned um i think is really important and something i wish somebody may have sat me down in college and kind of said um i think i spent a lot of time very insular with like my ra friends and my sga friends and um while they're super still super important to me and i i do talk to them i i miss like um just that random person just that random person yeah, that you live with, yeah. not as an RA, or right. you see in class, in the dining hall. Right. Yeah, I think that's really important, because sometimes we get caught up in, you know, like that high school politics of, oh, right. I hate this person, I can't stand their guts, I can't look at them, and ultimately, you never know where they're going to be in the workforce, if they're mm-hmm. that person who could possibly promote you one day, and mm-hmm. they know this about you. It's just, I don't know, I think it goes to show that you should really just try to be the best version of yourself in all situations because, I don't know, ultimately it does catch up to you in one way or another. Right. So, okay. Um, besides being an AC, you're, I mean, I was going to ask you what you do in your free time, but now I'm thinking, like, what free time do you have <laughs> after all you've talked about that you're doing? But uh, what are some things outside of, you know, being an AC, like your hobbies, what you like to do when you have free time? Yeah. Um, I am an avid reader. I am on a book reading journey this uh, year, and my goal is really to finish a book a week. And wow. so I have, knock on wood, stuck true to that. So I'm 15 books in for wow. the year. Um yeah, and I really like reading, like, memoirs and stories like that. I'm a big story person. I love to hear student stories, but also, like, read stories. Um, so I do that. 
I, like I said, I'm really close to my mom. So my mom and I will go shopping on the weekends and kind of explore. Um, I love this area of Connecticut because of the beaches and all the pretty walkways and the cute little capes on the the roads by the beaches. So um, I like to spend time doing that. Um, and then my friends are kind of all over the place. So my two best friends, one lives in Atlanta and one lives in North Carolina. And so I do spend time going and seeing them. I try to go see um, them at least three times a year um, and have them come visit me. And so um, we do that. That's really cool. And yeah. I mean, those are nice places to visit, especially like they're warmer. But as for you, would you ever consider, I mean, I know your family's here. So it's like Connecticut. Mm. You're like, this is this is it. Or you're like, I would live somewhere else. I mean, you already have, but. Yeah, I would definitely live somewhere else. I tell my friends all the time. Everybody kind of has this like dream, weirdly, in my like circle, social circle of like, one day I'll make it to North Carolina. And so I'm like, yeah, everybody go to North Carolina, pick a city and I'll meet you there. And so I kind of tell them that all the time. Like, I'm not opposed um, to looking at North Carolina. Um, I wouldn't be opposed to Atlanta. Um, the South is really interesting in a lot yeah. of ways yeah. um, and very different than up here. And so I spent a lot, like, my first year down, and Virginia's not even that South, but my first year there, I spent a lot of time, like, really thinking about who am I. Like, I like, feel like I really went through that question um, of, like, where are my values? Where do they come from? And relearning some of the things that, like, you know, are just innate, I feel like, in northern people about the South. Um, so it's really interesting. I really enjoy that culture, though, um, as a whole, on a theoretical sense. Um, there are things, of course, of both areas that, like, are not the best. But um, the weather is beautiful. North Carolina is beautiful. I love the mountains on there. Um, so who knows? I mean, your resume is getting very, 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 very stacked. So <laughs> I think you can, like, pick a state and be like, you know what? I can try this out, and who wouldn't want you? There's well, thanks, Val. There. <laughs> so um, you were speaking about, like, all of your friends and, you know, how you've met people in different times of your life, but yet still keep in contact with mm. them. How do you do that? Because I think it's something that in so many ways is easier said than done. Yeah. Because when you're in that day-to-day you see them every day it's so easy you don't just like yeah friends but when you're as far away from your friends as you are how do you maintain those relationships oh that's a great question um i think something that's been always really important to me and my friends joke about this because like i'm the only person they know that's like so passionate about this um is making sure your friends like if you have a friend from one area and a friend from another and you think that they would get along introduce them um and kind of create like a bigger friend group so um like my friends all know about my all my other friends um not in like a bad way like back to like that gossiping but like in like a i just love them and i want you to also know them and love them um and so like even um, I'm going to the Taylor Swift concert in a few weeks. Ooh, exciting. I know, in Atlanta. And um, wow. my best friend from North Carolina and her college roommate are all coming, and we're all staying together at my other friend, who has nothing to do with those two people's um, house. So it's kind of funny um, to kind of introduce people like that. I think you have to create priorities. So my priority has always been, like, I want to check in with my friends frequently. And when you stop checking in, like you stop that relationship like things especially in the adult world like as slow as things go they go really fast and so sometimes it's hard to pick back up where you left off um 
And sometimes it's not. So, like, I have a really good friend from grad school who I will talk to maybe once every couple of months. But every time we talk, it's like no time has passed. Mm-hmm. Do a little catch up, a little like, where are you at? What are you thinking? Um, but I know, like, who they are and what they value. And so if you have that strong base, it shouldn't matter how long you go. And then, like, my other my two best friends, I talk to them every single day. Like, not a day has gone by in the last seven years that I haven't communicated with them. And so it's depending on, like, what you want out of the relationship and what you all are okay with. And it's not crazy to say, like, what do you need from me as a friend? Um, I went and visited my best friend in North Carolina, and I was like, we talk every single day. But I was like, I just need proof of life every day. Like, from you, that is my expectation. And she was like, that I can do. Um, Even as she – she's about to leave grad school now and go out into the real world. And so um, she's seeing, like, a lot of her time shift in different ways. Um, But she's like, I can send you proof of life every day. Yes. So – that's good. Yeah. And do you see like the impact of those relationships on you and having that support system and like in what ways has that played out? Oh, definitely. I think it's really important to have people like, I mean, I'm very close to the other ACs. I think that they're awesome. Um, and they're great to talk about like things that are going on at Fairfield because they're living it. Um, but in the same time, like sometimes you want to talk to somebody who's not associated with the situation at all and can give you like unbiased advice. And so, um, I we talk about this me and my one of my friends in Atlanta of you need a yes friend and a no friend and she brings this up a lot I told her this once and she's like I think about this all the time but you need a yes friend of somebody who you're gonna call and is always gonna be like yes affirmative like I support you I support you anything you need and you need a no friend who's like going to challenge you Mm -hmm. um and so uh I'm the, the yes and the no friend in different situations but um I think, like, having somebody to call and say, like, this is what I did, who's not going to judge you and is going to give you legitimate advice is so important as you grow up into, like, a young professional because things are so hard and they're so different um, and working intergenerationally sometimes is really difficult. So, like boomers and millennials and Gen X, they all have different expectations of what work should be like. And... um they're very different than Gen Z. And so I kind of like... Gen Z's a crazy generation. I'm like any before. Amen to that. So <laughs> I definitely cusp on the side of like millennial Gen Z. And um, I have a younger brother. So I always think that like because of that, I lend more Gen Z. Um, and so sometimes I just genuinely need to call somebody and be like, am I nuts? <laughs> like, this is what I did. And sometimes it's really important to like own up. Like, I did this. I know that this is maybe not the best thing. Where do I go now? Um, and having somebody who can, like, talk that through with you is really important. Yeah, and sometimes even just, like, hearing yourself speak about it out loud, something can seem so big in your head. Right. And then hearing it out loud. Um, but I'm thinking about, you know, some of the listeners of the show who tend primarily to be first-year students at mm, Fairfield. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, you have those established relationships with friends mm. and you know that they're going to be there for you. But what about when you're at this part of your life and you're trying out – you know, different friends, maybe they're not working out. Like, yeah. how do you figure out what makes a good friend and who's really going to be there for you for the long haul? Yeah, I have such a soft spot in my heart for this situation. Um, I had really a tough time making friends in high school. My whole, every year of high school, I had a different friend group. Um, and my senior year friend group, I still talk to them to this day. Um, I love them. They're great. But I didn't find those friends until February of my senior year. And so you can imagine, like, that's a really hard time to be in high school, um, not having those friends. Then I got to college and I genuinely walked around freshman year. This was like part of why I wanted to transfer. I was like, 
is it me or is it everyone else? Like, I'm so confused. I feel like I have never been in a place where people so genuinely don't understand me and I don't understand them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember thinking that, like, all of the time. Being like, what? Genuinely, what is going on? Um, and so freshman year was hard. Sophomore year, I found a group of friends. And then that kind of, like, took me away from academics because I was spending all my time with friends after not having friends freshman year. Um, and that was really, really hard. Um, and I think, like, we just grew apart. Like, I still have such love for them. Um, still to this day, I don't, haven't talked to them in years. Um, but if I saw them in, like, Walmart, I'd be like, hey. Um, then junior year is really when I came into my own. And I, I think that that's so frequently the, the reality for students. Um, but so often, freshmen, first years, will see, like, juniors and seniors have these, like, perfect friends that like they go out and they do things together and they are exploring the world and they have their cars and like it's so easy to romanticize that and look back on yourself in a mirror and say like I don't have those friends right now and the reality for so many students is those friends don't come until junior year um when I really think that freshman year is all about like you got to make through it you just got to make it through you find people who are going through similar experiences than you. A lot of times they're in the same residence hall as you and you just are kind of like, okay, this is going to be my friend group. Sophomore year, it's very, you tend to then be like, okay, like they're kind of annoying me now. <laughs> um, and I don't know why they're annoying me. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a value thing. Like I value and prioritize this. They value and prioritize that. That doesn't always mesh. And, like, those similar things that you bonded over, like, that first little while of being all confused, like, it doesn't really translate to, you know, real world, like, constant struggles or who you are as a person. Exactly. And you have, like, all these other, like, inputs now, right? Like, you're student leaders many many of the times. You're in all these different clubs. You're taking harder classes. And your professors are so different. You're not in those core classes anymore that everybody's taking. Um, So I think it's very normal and natural to kind of try out different friend groups sophomore year. Um, by junior year, you really need to start, there comes a point where you're like, I'm going to spend time with people who make me feel good. Mm -hmm. Um, and a lot of times that happens junior, senior year where you're just like, I'm not spending time with you because I genuinely would rather be alone than with you. And that's okay. Yeah. And you have to find people and, um, dig deep into the relationships of people who make you feel good about yourself who challenge you in some way like I think of um my best friend from college um is and we talk like once a month typically he I was the president he was the uh co-president vice president um role of our student government and he um him and I never voted on the same the same way on any situation happening in student government for four years. And like, we had just very different views of how a college university should be run, but that never changed the fact that we were both working for the betterment of the students. And so like, though we had different ideas, like having debates with him was so genuinely interesting to me that it didn't matter at the end of the day where we landed on debates because I enjoyed time with him. Um, so it's it's finding time like that where they don't have to be the same person as you, but people who you genuinely want to spend a lot of time with. Right. And then you have that respect for each other, even if you do have those differences, because ultimately, if you're this, if you're hanging out with the same person as you, that gets really boring. Very boring. Yes. 
So, okay, that's good to know. And I, I think it's encouraging to hear that it does take time and you're looking for those qualities of people that ultimately just bring out, I guess, the best in you. Yeah. So now that you're, you know, past that, would you say, is it worth it? Is it worth trying out, like, those different groups and going through the hard times to, you know, find the people that stick? Oh, absolutely. I think you learn a lot about yourself and what you want and what you need um, in friendships. So, like... I know that I want to val- I want to have friends who value friendship as much as I value friendship. And so um that's one of my like biggest things. Like if I'm not at work, I'm with friends digging into friendships. And so when people are kind of like yeah, like we can go do something or like I can sit in my room and watch YouTube, like those aren't necessarily my people. Like I want people who want to watch YouTube with me. You know, like, even if we're not talking, like, I want to spend time with them. And so that's fine. Like, I still have all the love in the world for those types of people. But you learn really quickly um, what you're willing to put up with in a friendship and what you're, what, like, is not. And so you have to kind of go through that um, to be able to know that. It's like, you know, the same thing with relationships. Relationships and friendships are really similar. Like, you're very unlikely going to find the one you're supposed to marry, the very first time you ever get into a relationship. Um, Tell that to people here. <laughs> Dedicated to finding their stagmates, you know? No, I know. And I feel like everybody finds their stagmate at uh, Quad Fest. It's like night one. Really? Wow. Oof. Well, couldn't be me. <laughs> uh, no, I, I think I would cringe. So I'm glad. I'm glad that's the case. But um, we're kind of coming to the end of our time. So I really appreciate all that input that you're putting in, Katie. I think that a lot of people are going to learn from it, and it's exciting to know that there's better ahead for those of us <laughs> who are kind of maybe struggling a little bit. But as to, to kind of end on a positive note, and we already the whole show's been positive. It really has. It's been so insightful and influential. But is there something like that you have just learned? It could be anything. It doesn't have to be related to you know friendships, relationship, whatever. But mm. something like that you've had personal insight into lately that you want to share. And, you know, maybe inspire others like you've been doing. Huh. <laughs> That's a tough question. That is a tough question. Think about it for a second. Um, there's no rush. Hmm. I think something that I'm learning and kind of the theme of this year is, for me personally, is it's so important to be consistent and to stand up for what you believe in. Um, Whether that's understood or misunderstood by other people, like you need to, like at the end of the day, when you go home to bed, like you need to be able to look yourself in the mirror and know that like you did the best that you can. And people told me that since college and I never truly understood it until I think this year. So um, if that sounds like cliche advice, Maybe one day it won't. Um, But I think that, like, at the end of the day, you have to do it for you. Um, And I recently made a vision board, which is my background on my phone here. Um, And in the middle, it has it has do it for you. Um, And I think that that's important. Wow. That's really good. Really inspirational. This whole episode has been just amazing. Better than I could have ever imagined and expected for having somebody (laughs) above me for the first (laughs) time. Um, so thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate the conversation. I think it's going to do a lot for a lot of students who can really benefit from your wonderful advice. So Thanks, Val. Thanks for having me. It was so fun. I'm glad. So as for our listeners, bye for now, pals. It's Val signing off, and I'll see you next time. Bye.